Hello, beautiful soul, and welcome to the Empowered Empath Podcast, where sensitivity is a superpower. I'm your host, Gracie Balev, mind, body, spirit mentor, international speaker, Reiki master, and quantum healer, here to hold this sacred space for us more sensitive souls to explore, express, and expand not just who, but what we are. A new way and new wave is emerging. We are the empowered empaths. Let's rise and shine. This is episode four of the Empowered Empath podcast, and I am so excited and lit up about our guest today, guys. Nick is actually the first guest on the podcast. This is the very first interview, so thank you for breaking the ice. Nicole is known as a multi-award winning social entrepreneur. She prefers to be seen as an unstoppable messenger of love and human potential, impacting over 250,000 people worldwide with her unconventional models of community development and transformation. Currently, Nicole is the CEO of a global movement, Love Out Loud, engaging 4% of the global population, which is critical mass, by the end of 2020 to successfully facilitate the world's largest love-based movement. Her career has seen her speak across tens of countries, across this beautiful world. She has years of experience in corporate and political spheres, in experiential facilitation, community work, and she's launched her debut book, Love Out Loud, which makes her processes accessible and easily applied to anyone and everyone, which I love. Nick, well, first off, do you prefer Nick or Nicole? Uh, either way, depends how close we are, but considering we have so many amazing people in common, it's fine. All right. Well, I consider myself in there. So, Nick, already just listening to that, like I get head to toe chills. That is a massive vision. And I know your dreams are much bigger, but already you can really feel that you have really left an impact and created a legacy of love. That in itself is massive. But I know, and I think everyone listening knows, that this kind of embodiment of personal power in order to lead on this level doesn't just happen overnight. Do you have a personal story of struggle to strength that has allowed you to facilitate this level of leadership? Yeah, I think, you know, everyone, everyone has a story and that's, that's one thing. That's one thing that my work reminds me of every day. You know, one of the biggest blessings of getting to do the work that I do over the past 10 years has just been the amount of people's stories I've got to listen to. Yeah. And it sort of blows me away. You know, one thing I I share often is in listening to people's stories, especially with the amount of diversity that I've got to witness, you know, 40 different countries, over half a million people working with them on the ground over the past decade from the prime minister all the way through to a, you know, a kid in a rural community that has a population of Um, and the outside of the story, you know, the details of the story can look so different, but fundamentally when you really learn to listen, all human beings just want the same thing. And actually the story, when you strip it back to the, the spectrum of the human experience, the, the pain that we feel and the joy that we're capable of experiencing, all of that's shared. And I guess you know, to, to relate that to your question, how does that impact my embodiment as a leader? 
it's really been a journey for me in understanding that my pain and my personal story isn't significant you know it's not it's not different to um someone else's pain even though even though that the details were different for sure like um I had a very unconventional childhood sort of like uh, an expert in change by the time I was 18 I went to 10 different schools and grew up between Europe and yeah Europe and Australia and left mainstream school at 14 to pursue performance um and had sort of a hyper focus and a very sort of always very driven and quite perfectionistic, but no one was talking to me at that time around what it meant to love yourself. And I had to learn the lessons around opportunity in in a, the in the hardest way. You know, we can be given our dreams on a silver platter, but unless we know how to feel worthy of those dreams, unless we know how to become the embodiment of those dreams, we can't actually... Um, we can't grasp them, you know, and that was definitely my experience. When I was younger, I had an amazing opportunity to go to an acting academy, which was my dream. I didn't um, fit in in a regular schooling environment. I was hyper creative. I couldn't. I wouldn't imagine you fitting in. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, you know, you know, wouldn't necessarily have known that on the on the outset because I was quite good at being adaptive. And but inside, the level of um, the level I felt misunderstood and and unmet and not challenged was really extreme. Obviously, I didn't really have the emotional awareness to understand that when I was younger. So those feelings of anxiety and isolation and frustration yeah. were experiences that I really internalised um, quite significantly. Plus, I felt like every time I was starting somewhere, I was already mentally preparing to leave. So the inconsistency also made it really difficult to catch um, the, I guess, the deeper symptoms of what I was experiencing inside. And so that not being addressed and me not having a language to be able to have a voice to what I was feeling mm. led to a, a really massive decline in my mental health. And that looked like anorexia for me. For, um, I was in that battle for almost five years but for anyone that has been around someone that suffered from an eating disorder or has themselves, you know, yeah. yeah, it has nothing to do with um, what you think it has to do with. It has nothing to do with food and, and all to do with, well, for me, not knowing how to express my feelings and internalizing those feelings and ultimately taking them out of myself and yeah. punishing myself through that. Same for me. Yeah, on a journey. Maybe it's not an easy journey to walk. Um, but I'm grateful that I experienced that because it taught me so much about my mind. It taught me so much about even the power of focus, you know, like it really put into perspective how strong our heads are to be in, to have been a mindset that I was denying myself of something that physiologically were programmed to have at any cost. Mm-hmm. And those beliefs of unworthiness and not enoughness to override um, my body in every single way. Yeah. In hindsight, it's that's a very profound um, mm. insight to just how powerful our minds are at creating our reality. Yeah, mm. 100%. So that's obviously, that's a very different, that's the opposite state of being to how you exist today in the world. That was, um, I guess, a state of disempowerment for you. You mentioned self-love and for me, like self-love is one of my favorite things to teach. And I know that in my healing journey and any journey that I'm blessed to facilitate, it is fundamental 
in finding the vigor that it takes to really apply your energy to your healing. What was it that began to inspire your self-love? What shifted for you? Yeah, it's a big question. Mm. (laughs) I think the first part of that for me was when I was in the behavior of the, of the eating disorder and I was in the grips of that, um, that way of life and that way of thinking, I honestly believe that I was loving myself in that process, which is, um, seems like an interesting dichotomy. Yeah. Like to be in a state of self punishment and self criticism and self flagellation basically, and to have convinced yourself that that's what empowerment looks like. And that's what control being in control of yourself is. Um, and putting so much of my effort and my focus and my energy and my emotion into achieving those goals, um, those ridiculously unachievable goals that the voice of anorexia, you know, was, was pushing me towards every day was, it took a, it took a lot of investment and getting to the, you know, the other side of that experience and it impacting my health in a very severe critical way it was coming to terms with the fact that I had put so much of my identity, so much of my energy, so much of my emotion into a, a road that ultimately was a dead end. And I was confronted with an option, you know, to, to die for, for the eating disorder, um, which really, if I'd stripped the, the layers back of the psychology of that, it would have been not being able to come to terms with needing to recreate myself. Mm-hmm. having so much into that identity um, that I just, you know, if, if that was my story, which thank goodness it wasn't, it yeah. would have been a matter of just not being able to reconcile how much suffering I had endured and being completely misguided in what was driving that behaviour. Mm. Um, lucky that's not the path that I chose, um, but I did make an agreement with myself, which was if I'm going to, face this and leave a a state of denial um I better fucking build a life that is absolutely extraordinary (laughs) yes oh I love that and just hearing that like you had to make an agreement with yourself and just make a really final decision to choose yourself it had me like visualizing all the ripples of love and positive energy and like embodiment that others learn by your example that otherwise would not have been incited if it weren't for that decision you make, like all the ripples of love that the world would have been denied. So I just want to honor you and celebrate you and thank you on behalf of this world for choosing yourself, Nick. Thank you. I think that's a really powerful thing that you just shared. You know, it's a choice. Um, I remember my my therapist at that point in my life um, told me that. She said, you're choosing this and you can choose to, to rewrite your story. And, you know, now knowing what I know, uh, it's sort of obvious, like, of course, where these are choices that we're making every mm. moment. But I remember hearing that for the first time and feeling so um, overwhelmed and angry and stifled by the fact that someone that was meant to be supporting me was telling me that this was something I was choosing for myself. Um, because I felt by that point so out of control of, of the voice that was in my head repetitively. Um, but it's a powerful thing for people to understand, you know, no matter what where you're at, 
in your journey or how many feet below zero you feel you, you are, there's, there's always free will. There's always sovereignty. That's the very nature of our existence as a human being. And as soon as you decide, and here's the thing, you don't need to know how it's going to work. You don't need to know how it's going to turn out. You don't know how, you don't need to know how your health is going to be returned to you or how you're going to make the money or how you're going to launch the business. The first step is just choosing it fully and being willing to step into what's required of you to, to do that thing, you know, Um, and just taking that moment by moment, step by step and allowing, I don't know, I guess my practice now is seeing it as the, like the, the adventure that's life when you when you choose you and you're willing to um, always step up to that challenge, it can become something that feels really fun and light and yeah. adventurous no matter what chapter of your life you're in. Mm, yeah, I don't think you can go wrong as long as you keep choosing yourself because in essence, if we're all love, we keep choosing love and what better way to live. Yeah, that's right. And like just the power of choice again and free will, where you stand today is absolutely a product of making a choice to shift from being enabled by fear to now being empowered by love. So for you, this is another big question. I know I'm really hitting you with them, but how do you define empowerment? It's a good question. Empowerment, um, I think the state of being empowered for me is being truly connected to to the power that is me and I guess for me that's the divinity that exists in me it's the thing that's in me that's in all things yeah. so when, I, when I see a beautiful sunset or play with a puppy or you know hang out with friends and I see um God in them and that's yeah. what makes me feel you know love that's what makes me feel warmth that's what makes me feel connected and mm-hmm. I can transcend the suffering that you know is ultimately I think an inherent part of our experience but connecting to that divinity and being connected to that divinity allows us to transcend that suffering I feel in my experience at least and I guess a powerful part of my journey of empowerment was realizing that I'm not an exception to that rule you know mm-hmm. that that exists in the sunset in my friend in a lover in a in a puppy also exists in me and just because I'm not necessarily connected to it in moments doesn't mean that that's not true and not there mm-hmm. and the more I realized that the more I practiced that the more that I got out of my own way and got over the stories of you know self-love is selfish or self-love is arrogant or believing that there's a divinity in you is conceited or whatever the cultural narrative is the more I was able to just be with it and the less I had things to prove mm-hmm. and then the real sense of liberation I think that comes when you no longer have anything to prove there's so much space all of a sudden to create oh, yes so <laughs> yeah and that's like that's your creative potential yeah when you when you don't have personal power the only other way that you can have a sense of power is by trying to control what is external to you and yeah um, you're going to experience a lot of jealousy. You're going to experience a lot of, um, you know, resistances and tensions and power dynamics and all of that's consuming. All of that's like a, it's a full-time job. And I guess that was the other thing that anorexia taught me is like trying to control is exhausting. And I was exhausted with that. Yeah. I wanted to let go. Like I, I wanted to. And that doesn't mean that, 
you know, I live in a, a blissful state of surrender in all moments. Mm-hmm. It's a journey. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm definitely there a lot more than I was 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Words that I try to live by are in staying connected to that which is limitless. We experience limitlessness ourselves. Mm-hmm. Everything that you just said, it's just shifting from limitation to liberation. And what a beautiful way to really embody and experience your own personal power. And as a result of that, like now, for years actually, you've been continuously, progressively stepping into higher levels of leadership. What I want to ask you as well about that, Nick, is how your personal empowerment relates to your leadership. Yeah, that's an important question, I think. How do I want to answer this? It's the first thing I'll say to that is as a leader, you um, you do have influence and it's it's definitely been a journey for me to be able to accept that and understand that but remain humble and graceful in that and not see it as, a, you know, a more than or less than or a significance. It's just the way I see it now is you're assuming responsibility for something, therefore you become literally more response able you have more ability in that moment and with that ability become comes um a sense of power so why self-empowerment is so important is if you don't have a sense of empowerment within self then you will whether it's conscious or or not be essentially abusing your power taking power from those that don't have the ability to challenge you because of your ability Um, And I think a lot of leaders, you know, they don't do this because they're malicious. They don't do this because they're bad people. It it Mm. sometimes can just manifest because there's an absence of awareness there. And you want to take it all the way back. And I've had to look at this in in my leadership journey. Even this year, I've looked at massive um, sort of patterns and wounds that have played out in my journey, both personally and professionally. where I wasn't fully empowered, I wasn't feeling proud of myself, I wasn't feeling um, like I could see myself properly. And when when that's playing out in your consciousness, then those who are coming into your vortex as a leader are going to be subject to that. So if you if your mum and dad didn't see you, you know, and, and you have a need to be seen, she's a very sort of common example, and then you're all of a sudden put in a position of leadership and people are admiring you and they're seeing you, Because there's a need within you and you're not self-sourcing, that is going to essentially mean that you're taking that power away from those that you're leading um, Mm -hmm. unconsciously. So that's why there's so much responsibility that comes with leadership. Mm -hmm. Constantly have to check yourself and also be humble enough to realise that we all have blind spots and we um, we all have biases. Yeah. And it's really fucking hard to look at yourself, especially when you've built an identity. Like when I stepped away from my first organization, which was a mental health charity, I led that for eight years. There was such an identity associated with growing that organization. Like I was 18 when I founded it. Like I grew up doing it, basically. It became such a fundamental part of how I related to the world and how people related to me. And, um, because I achieved, I guess, a, quite a high level of success as well at a young age, um, sometimes that can be 
you know, it's a double-edged sword. Success is amazing, but what it also meant was people looked at me and thought that I had it all. And when we think someone has it all and we think someone has ultimately what we want, yeah. what we tend to do as a human being is we stop giving them empathy. We don't, we don't have empathy for people that we think have what we want. Mm-hmm. unless you've really done the work on yourself to become aware of that. So here I was a kid, you know, still yeah. very recently recovered and probably not fully recovered from very deep mental health challenges that I was experiencing, thrown into a position of leadership, pedestaled as this kind of golden child of Australia, won a bunch of prestigious awards, was in the media consistently, traveling the world, speaking, but deep down, I still needed a lot of love. And there were parts of me that were very deeply fragile, very deeply um, still needed to be seen and to feel enough. Mm-hmm. And because people around me couldn't see that vulnerability and because I was so good in at, at being confident and so good at being on the front line and so good at ultimately being in control, yeah. no one saw that vulnerability. Um, so I, I didn't learn in those years properly how to self-source and how to find that empowerment in myself. And I became reliant on that success. So that it's been a very difficult, painful, ultimately, thing mm. to to look at in the past couple of years and it's been a journey and I'm really grateful for where I'm at now in the journey because I can see with compassion where that came from I can yeah yeah, like not not feeling welcome in my family to feel the spectrum of my emotions created a need for attention created a need in me to to be seen um Mm -hmm. But on the flip side of that, I had a huge amount of shame surrounding that. And when you have shame surrounding that, it's very difficult to look at. It's very difficult to even identify (laughs) when you feel shame towards something because the nature of shame is don't look at me, don't look at me. Absolutely. So slowing down enough, and I think, you know, 2020 has been a powerful gift for me personally in that. I've really had an opportunity to slow down more. Yeah. At least in terms of my travel schedule, (laughs) maybe not in terms of work and projects. But um, it's given me the opportunity to look at some of those parts of myself more intimately and rather than avoiding it because it's painful and um, hiding behind the identity of, well, I'm a leader, so I I have nothing to look at. And again, like it's not always so overt. It doesn't doesn't always look like a leader being really power hungry and arrogant. These aspects of our ego, these aspects of our wounds can be really subtle. And for me it was so subtle how, how this was like, I'm, I would say very self-aware person and very emotionally aware person. And I practice self-awareness daily. And even so the insidiousness of the ego is very clever at disguising mm-hmm. itself. Uh, so that was a roundabout way of saying it's important to really find empowerment as a leader, because this, these are some of the symptoms yeah. that will start to occur in leadership when you don't, have that and definitely a thousand percent the more I'm self-secure the more I don't need to be seen Mm. obviously like that translates into the more my community is about my community the more it's co-creative the more it's expensive the more there's space for others which is my definition of leadership is creating space for others I love that um yeah so that's you know I can only do that to Mm -hmm. the that I'm not needing um, space from them. Yeah. 
It's that whole, it's a bit of a cliche, but the leading by example thing is so true. It rings so true. And um, I love what you said about self-sourcing. I haven't heard it articulated that way before, but it's just so potent. If you are your own source of everything and essentially of power, then what better position from which to lead? And then leading by example, of course, like if you have even the most intricate, the subtle, like, the really inconspicuous inconsistencies energetically in your field where you're harboring that shame, that guilt, um, just slight resentments even towards yourself, like that impacts your entire self, how everyone is able to draw from you and your leadership. There is... People noticing, that's the other thing. It's mm. like you don't realise, I think, often when we're in a position of leadership just how much people notice. <clears throat> so interesting and sometimes other people don't realize either but when someone admires you um they're taking it in you mm-hmm. know it's like that's again why it's so important to always be that demonstration and I think integrity is like a huge thing that's oh, yeah. talked about enough you know what what is integrity how do you find personal integrity how do you balance yeah. your truth with the expectations others have on you to stay mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in leadership, to stay in integrity. I think that's a really important conversation. Mm. How do you feel about integrity? How do you stay in that space? My relationship to integrity is one that is in a constant state of evolution. Yeah. Um, the basis for me of how I define integrity is when everything is aligned, when my thoughts, mm. my feelings and my actions um, are aligned and I'm congruent in that way. And for me in my journey of, I guess, understanding integrity and, and stepping more deeply into my integrity, it's it's very vulnerable because what it means is when I'm thinking something or I'm feeling something, even when I, even when I feel someone's going to have a problem with it or I feel it's maybe going to hurt someone or I feel that it's not going to be a popular, you know, position, it integrity calls you into a space where um you you will live by that regardless because Mm -hmm. you know truth is the the gateway really to us being able to have an open heart truth is the gateway to us being able to really experience the wholeness of who we are until we are in that state of truth we can't actually access expansiveness and it's way more vulnerable than I think, you know, people give credit to. And one thing, one thing I see heaps in with working with people is we expect, we expect truth, but mm. we're, not, we're not willing to give the full truth. We're not willing. And this is when, when it's a hard confrontation that's going to create, you know, potential tension. But it's also with people that we deeply love a lot of the time I think we're scared to let them know how amazing they are because we're afraid that if they were to fully see themselves, there might not be a place for us. Yeah. And that's vulnerable. You know, it's vulnerable. to it's, It works both ways. When there's someone in your life that's so amazing, like I, I really believe it's our, our duty as a community, as, as a tribe, you know, a tribal yeah. being, to let that person see themselves clearly. Yeah. And um, if we're feeling insecure or if we don't feel not enough, there's going to be a high chance that we'll 
hide someone's greatness from them because we're afraid of what it will mean if they were to be fully self-empowered as well. Mm. So interesting how we assign meaning to everything. And again, if we're harboring fear, like that can be to detriment of everybody involved. I'm just obsessed with everything you just said, but in particular about how truth is what opens us up and what keeps us open. And like, that's everything when it comes to connection. I think like in a leader, a quality that I really appreciate is that relatability where you can freely exchange energy with that being because you can feel, you sense that their heart is open. So that exchange of love, and I think that's that's how community seems to be built. And, of course, you are a master of building community. Look at this incredible global movement that you've created. Does that vulnerability feel too much sometimes? Do you ever feel pressured by your incredible leadership position? Does it ever feel like a lot? Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's or there's a lot of moments like I'm really introverted naturally mm. so the way I get energy is is to not always communicate out loud but to actually be with myself in my own internal process um so that's a constant journey of of knowing how much space I need and um what is a good amount for me to to give and actually yeah. a part of that journey has been looking at how those earlier experiences with self-punishment and self-criticism actually really skewed my connection to that natural intuition of what I found the deeper I got into leadership and the more others wanted of me and needed from me. I had that same voice being like, you can handle anything. Mm. And I was going with that voice of like, there's, there's you know no limit to how much you should be able to do and should be able to give yeah and it was actually in a session with a practitioner and she asked me um what what was it I can't remember the exact wording of the question but it was something along the lines of what's your actual boundary in your body Mm. such a simple question right but for me like world changing because for the first time it wasn't about what I thought I could handle. I was actually tuning in to how I felt. Yeah, how you feel. In relation to my boundaries. And I was like, whoa, like the, the degree that I will push past. Yeah. And, and just even like entertaining, what if I could have an extremely abundant life and have everything that I wanted and live in harmony with the truth of my feelings and and my boundaries and mm. that was like yeah like a life changing um, yeah. question to start being within and what I found in that realization was the more um, I'm in sync with myself in that way inevitably the more abundant everything becomes around me because I'm not yeah. I'm not forcing I'm not pushing yeah so would you say that intuition has really emerged as a key player in leading effectively yeah 100 100 intuition yeah. everything with without doubt if I do something that that looks like it's the right thing on paper but I'm not feeling it it won't yeah it, it won't succeed like it's, it's just not even something I question anymore I have to I have to feel it and if I don't feel it it's not it's not going to be a part of the strategy um yeah 
And also sometimes I feel things and I get a vibe on something that makes absolutely no sense practically, but every time I follow it, <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's a payoff. That's not to say that strategy. And I think, you know, a lot of, I, I've noticed a lot of people in my community ask this a lot, like what is the balance between living intuitively and following your intuition and being in a, a state of surrender versus being strategic. Mm-hmm. And I'm a strategist, like strategic thinking is really important. What I would encourage people to understand is strategy doesn't always have to be completely linear. Like strategy is not always A plus B equals C. Yeah. Part of your strategy, which is really just the foundation, like a strategy of anything, of life, of um, a business, of a relationship, is sort of like the infrastructure of a house. Yeah. You know, like it's important to have. <laughs> it's really important to have. But within that, there has to be space for you to feel. There has to be space for you to follow guidance and synchronicities and intuition. Um, for me, it's sort of like I have I have the vision and I have the infrastructure, and then I let it go and allow myself to yeah. be carried through that vision. And that takes a lot of amount. That takes a lot of trust. It takes a lot of trust in that universal law. <laughs> Absolutely. To not need to control it so tightly. Um, yeah. But yeah, every time I am able to fully let that go, the way that I'm carried towards that vision is usually a lot faster, yeah. a lot magical and yeah. yeah, it's filled with, you know, beautiful synchronicities and that's like yeah. the best. That's the, the best. best. There's yeah. more ease and flow to everything and you feel lit up along the way, even when shit goes wrong, like it just doesn't affect you because your vibe is high and you feel aligned. I love that. And I try to live the same way. I actually just posted something in my previous episode was about intuition and how, especially for empaths and sensitive souls, if they're seeking to be leaders in love, um, how following your intuition is an integral part of living with integrity. Um, Because if we're innately, intrinsically deep feelers, if we're not following what it is that we're feeling, we're completely denying ourselves. Exactly. It, it's inevitably self-denial and, and self-rejection. Mm. And like, why, why is that even a thing? You yeah. Know, why did that even become a thing? And just through listening to people, like 99% of that pattern comes from not having our feelings validated as a child, like having people around us try and talk us out of our feelings. Mm. Oh, you feel angry? You better not feel angry. You know, why don't you just have a sit down and relax? Oh, you feel sad. Why don't we uh, go to time zone and play games? Like mm-hmm. the adults in, in our life, I think for our generation, many of us, what we experience because of the culture um, that our parents were parented in and grew up in was an aversion to feeling emotion. So mm. when you're constantly getting talked out of your emotion, what starts to manifest is a fear of what others will think when you're feeling yeah, and how others will be when you're feeling. So constantly um, trying to avoid, you know, or trying to change our emotion to suit what, what we think is acceptable. And the problem in this is <clears throat> it just means over time, the level of self-rejection you're going to experience in that will completely disconnect you from what you're actually feeling. And that's a very dangerous, you know, from the, the powerful leaders I've got to work with in, in politics and people that run big corporations, 
a lot of the time they're making unethical decisions because they're completely disconnected from their feelings. They're not actually feeling the impact that that decision is having. And this is what is driving an ability to, to make a choice that is costing lives and environment and all of these other things for profit. Um, and it's not because these people are evil, it's because they're deeply traumatised. Mm. And it's a really important thing for people to understand that we need to hold a deep space of compassion because for someone at that level to feel safe, to actually feel, just think about what someone at that level will need to come to terms with. Yeah. Because once you come back into your heart, nothing you've ever done um, has disappeared. Mm. it's still there like your heart has kept a a diary of all of all of those decisions all of um yeah all of those times where you were numb and and disconnected there's a record of that in your heart waiting for you when you come back to truth so you know like in in my retreats that's one of the most profound aspects of holding space to that level Mm. for someone is the moments they're coming back into their heart, maybe for the first time in decades, maybe for the first time ever. Yeah. And feeling in those moments a lifetime of what hasn't been felt. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot. You know? it's, it's a lot. And, and you will get through it because yes. the heart is so resilient. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's the last thing any of us need in that is, is judgment. So Mm -hmm. learning how to be graceful and and forgive, Mm. I think, especially towards our leaders is so important. Yeah. What I'm gathering from all your beautiful wisdom, Nick, is that the most fundamental leadership comes from love and less from fear. That goes to say that a lot of us who want to be leaders, who want to lead, set an example, create an impact, will have to start deeply looking at ourselves and our internalized fears to be truly effective. Has trauma work played a part in your impact as a leader? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. With trauma, you know, what's interesting about trauma is most people don't know enough about trauma to be able to identify where trauma um has impacted them like I remember doing a national survey when I was leading Rogan Rouge that was the mental health charity with um two other major non-profits we came together to do a national survey in into trauma yeah yeah they 20,000 Australians wow uh, diverse yeah range and looking at the results was really interesting one of the questions on the survey was um how many uh do do you identify ever having experienced trauma and only about less than 10 percent I think it was eight or nine percent of participants said yes I identify with having Mm. a level of trauma some of the other questions we asked on that survey were things like when you were going when you were last going through a period of darkness and adversity um, in reaching out for help, did you experience rejection? And it was like 93% of people said they experienced rejection, you know, and that yeah. that inevitably will create trauma. If you're vulnerable and you reach yes. out and you you experience rejection, that's gonna that's gonna be a trauma response to to that experience. Um, what trauma is is an inability to emotionally and cognitively process. Mm-hmm 
what you're going through and it creates a fragmentation in, in the psyche. So that survey showed that many people have experienced things that have created trauma, but they're not actually seeing it as trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you understand more and more about trauma and you, you start to recognize, okay, trauma creates literally a fragmentation in our ability to feel, in our ability to think, um, the associations we draw neurologically shift and change. So this is where like conversations around intuition Mm. become a little bit more gray because how can you really have a strong intuition when you've, you know, you've experienced trauma. And that was definitely a, a part of my journey was looking at where I was fragmented um, and I'm still on that, you know, I'm still on that journey. Yeah. Um, for me, one of the strongest insights was um, when I started to become aware of where I was disassociative. Mm. So it would be things like if a partner was raising their voice at me, cognitively, I was just zoning out and thinking about work. Yeah. Uh, I was just like, oh, they're yelling at Go me. Go to. <laughs> Think about you know, every, all the emails I have to reply to and the bills I have to pay. And it wasn't until I really sat with that. And the reason I even, you know, went on a journey to sit with that was because I had enough pattern to see that mm. in that situation, a partner wasn't feeling heard by me. Mm. And what, what I wanted to um, resolve was the fact that I was in relationships where my partner didn't feel by me so I had to go on that journey to figure out why that kept showing up and what I discovered was I had these triggers that I wasn't aware of from my childhood where every time I was um heard a raised voice or I was yelled at in any way or I felt someone was seeing me as imperfect that was a big thing Mm -hmm. if they were criticizing me because I was so difficult it was so difficult for me to be with even the idea of imperfection or the idea yeah. of, um, or, or being criticised reminded me of subconsciously how self-critical I was, mm-hmm. that the way my subconscious would protect me in those moments was to completely remove me emotionally from the situation. So, of course, you, you could have been, like, yelling at me with a, um, a megaphone and it just still wouldn't have been computing because subconsciously I had a pattern which meant I was zoning out every time mm-hmm. um, I was coming close to that emotion. So this is how fragile the psyche is, yeah? And um, think about, like I'm giving you a personal example there, but when you're a leader, especially a leader that's constantly in spaces where I'm holding and responsible for um, like people's emotional experience. Yeah. If I have tendencies of disassociation, but just using that as an example, and I had many of these trauma patterns, but we'll just use that. (laughs) If someone's in my circle, for instance, at a retreat, was mirroring back to me something that I couldn't be present within myself, yeah, I will unconsciously be shutting them down in that in that moment and actually not validating their experience because I'm not able to be present with it mm. in myself. Um, Ooh, and, and the moment you can't hold space, you can't lead by your definition. Hey, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's all a mirror, yeah, and that's why leadership's powerful is because the mirror gets stronger and stronger the more responsibility yeah. you uh, you resume as, a, as yeah. a... So there's a gift in it because 
like I say to people all the time, if you want the best personal development course, become a leader. Like it's going to challenge you in, in every single way. Um, because you're constantly, you constantly have a mirror back to yourself. Mm -hmm. You're mirroring you, the people you're leading are mirroring you. Um, so it's been powerful, but it's also been, um, it's taken a lot of commitment to, yeah, looking at the parts of me that have had trauma, you know, and mm -hmm. feeling that, like, the thing about these experiences that create trauma for us, they don't go away. And to be, you know, 30 or 40 and needing to go back or 50 or 70, go back to things that happened at six, seven years old, 12 years old. And to really recognize that not having reconciled and resolved those experiences has created a lifetime of impact. Mm -hmm. um, again, is a lot to come to terms with. This is why compassion for self and compassion for yeah. others is so important. Yeah. We haven't had a society, we haven't had a culture that has facilitated mm. reconciliation in our in ourselves like everything yeah. is the opposite it's how to outsource how to not feel how to get yeah. more how to give your power away so mm -hmm. when you finally start walking a journey of coming home to yourself you know it's like we just don't need an additional layer of judgment from those around us it's the last thing we need it's a hard enough journey as it is self-love piece kind of re-emerges for me it's almost like how we love ourselves is how we lead ourselves and therefore how we can lead others so many beautiful themes running through all of this Nick self-love and integrity and self-sourcing and becoming empowered in that way for those who aren't on the global stage like yourself and they might consider themselves to be regular everyday people do they still hold the capacity to be leaders yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, all leadership starts with self. Mm -hmm. so, um, the journey we take people on in Love Out Loud is lead leadership of self, leadership of others, and then leadership of the world. Yeah. And it's a natural progression. You know, it's like mm. to maybe help people understand that more when you really start to lead yourself. And that means things like, you know, breaking breaking up with the values and the culture that you grew up in to actually be able to decide if that's what you truly value. And you might come full circle and decide the values that you grew up in are the values that you want to adopt. But until you actually challenge that, it's very yeah. difficult to become self-sovereign. It's very difficult mm. to, to, to lead yourself. Um, if and when you walk that path and you do get to a place where you know yourself, you know, knowing thyself, it's such yeah. a um, powerful principle to live by. You will have a natural overflow. There's really, yeah. it's, yeah. there's no ifs, there's no ifs or buts there. Like you will become an influential person um, by your very nature when you, yes. when you found that. So you'll probably start to find you might not take, you know, a leadership role, air quotation marks, you might not step into a CEO role or start a business or become a manager, but you'll just notice that when you're out, you know, maybe you're at a, at a bar with your mates and um, you're the person in the bar that everyone wants to talk to, you know, you yeah. just have a natural influence over people. Mm -hmm. That comes when you're leading yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and when you study as to why that is, it's because we're animals, yeah? So once upon a time... We, we, we sort out and we have a very strong sense of who um, trusts themselves. 
yeah. and who, um, yeah, who has a confidence because back in the day that would have meant protection. It would have meant, um, you know, we were in safe hands. We needed to be able to trust the person that was watching out for animals when we slept during, you know, the evening around the campfire because that would have um, been a threat to our life otherwise. So we have yeah. a very strong sense as a human being. And that to me is what leadership actually is. It's not about the, the, the name or the title. It's your embodiment. Um, yes. Yeah. And then I think the more you become aware, because a lot of people will get to that level of leadership and they might not, they might be quite oblivious to it because it's just the way that they are. Like they might not realize how much they're influencing others. But I think yeah. the more you start to become aware of your own ability to lead, um, I don't know, I think that there's there's something, there's a pull, at least yeah. from my own experience, um, towards your evolution mm -hmm. and the soul I think wants to wants to create we we yeah. want to um I don't know I don't know how to articulate it I think it's very human to want a legacy that you know creates a sense of immortality I think that that really is within mm. us and we might not be creating a global movement and enrolling millions of people yeah um, it might be something completely different to that it might be being a parent yep and doing that you know phenomenally um, yeah investing all of your energy in into that um but it is very human I think in our nature to want to transcend the limitations of of death because mm -hmm. we're in this finite experience we we are limitless so yeah, we're tethering that all the time as a human it's like I'm infinite but I'm in a finite experience yeah. it's like it's a lot to come to terms with the more you become aware of that. Yeah, it's such it's such an interesting dance and a dynamic one at that of anchoring divinity into humanity. And it's it's just fun. It gets it gets us to express and explore ourselves in so many different ways. For the empaths, the light workers, the sensitives who are listening and they have a big vision, what is one golden nugget of wisdom that you would leave them with? Okay, specifically around around vision, I would say vision is not something that you construct. It's something that you extract. I love that. And that's that's probably been my biggest reframe as, yes. as a visionary is that your vision is how you see the world. And yeah. people that are able to um, become very successful at that are people that, learn how to articulate how they see the world mm. that might not be in words it might be with a paintbrush it might be with guitar it might be with your hands building things but they have they've found a voice yeah. to be able to translate the vision that they have and when you you know and that to me is the true definition of authenticity and what is genuine you know it's the, the truth of how you see things because what you're perceiving in your individual experience holds keys for every other human being. It's it's the most valuable commodity you have is your perspective yeah. and your perception of the world. Mm. Um, so when you know how to translate that um, in a way that can bring other people into your experience, your success really is inevitable. You will, you will be successful. So focus more on your craft, focus more on your art form and less on um the money and less on the accolades and less on any of those things just 
I guess that was one thing I always did right. I was obsessed with my art forms. I was obsessed with learning how to communicate. I was obsessed with learning how to write. I became obsessed with those things. And the more, the more I committed to that and got better at that, everything else was sort of taken care of in the yeah. process. Yeah, absolutely. The laws of the universe, the laws of love always take care of us. That's so beautiful. I love that. You almost made me cry, Nick. Um, okay. So to wrap things up, I'm doing this thing called power play where I'm going to ask you questions and you just have to answer like as rapidly as you possibly can. All right. Ready? <laughs> okay. What is your least favorite thing about being a sensitive person? I don't know if I can answer that fast. What's my least favorite thing? Um, I guess feeling misunderstood. Oh, good one. Good one. What is your favorite thing about being a sensitive person? Insight. Yes, beautiful. What is your go-to energy hack for lifting your vibration? Ooh, uh, training, physical training. Yeah, so good. Do you have any party tricks or secret hidden talents? <laughs> um. I'm launching a rap album. That's so good. I've seen that. I can't wait. Yes. What's your rap name? <laughs> it's Nicole Gibson. It's consistent. Just straight and up. My initials it. actually are NG, so it's they're like. Oh, uh, yep, that's perfect. Iconic already. <laughs> um, do you have any catchphrases? So many. I just I don't even <laughs> know where to begin. <laughs> wouldn't even know. Okay. I'm, really, I'm, I'm digging do it now at the moment. That's do it now. That's a good one. I like that. That's a vibe. <laughs> so next one, describe yourself in three words. Um, altruistic, mm-hmm. uh, compassionate, mm-hmm. uh, visionary. Mm, so good. Well done. Um, best advice you've ever received? Don't take advice from people you don't want to be like. Oh, that's such a good one. Amazing. You nailed it. That's all I've got for you. Well done. <laughs> Round of applause. <laughs> Applauded yourself. The pressure. <laughs> the first question was <laughs> I find it so, it's so great when you apply just a little bit of pressure and what comes out. It's amazing. So to wrap up, beautiful, I'm sure that everyone who's been listening to this is absolutely captivated by your wisdom, your light, your energy. Where can our beautiful audience community find more of you and the Love Out Loud movement? Um, I would love you to connect to the movement and also to me. Probably my best bets, Instagram, Nick Gibson or Facebook, just my name. Mm-hmm. And for Love Out Loud, jump in our Facebook community. That's a really good place to begin. Um, there's tens of thousands of us from all over the world. It's a pretty good vibe. That's Love Out Loud is on Facebook. Or if you want to check out our membership, you can go to love-outloud.com slash membership. Yay. Nick, thank you so, so much for your time, your beautiful presence, your wisdom, your light. You are you are one of a kind. And we are all blessed to have you walking this earth with us. Thank you. Thank you, darling. Thank you so much for your presence in this episode of Empowerment Lightworker. I hope you've learned a thing or two that you can apply to feel more aligned and more alive. If so, feel free to leave a review or share what's resonated on Insta at Gracie Balev. For more on this topic, show notes and access to my Empowered Empath Mentoring Program are available at graciebelev.com forward slash The Empowered Empath. 
Until next time, Lightworker, keep rising, keep shining, and remember, your sensitivity is your superpower.